0: That's joinMIDI.com.
1: Well, greetings, imagination connoisseurs. Once again, it is I, your Duke of Dope Discourse, your master of fun and wonder, your viceroy of verisimilitude, and as John Campia calls me, your existential Mr. Rogers, Robert Meyer Burnett, and I am going solo for mailbag today. You know I love doing mailbag. I love talking to all you guys. I love hearing what you what kind folks, you gentle beings have to say. And I'm just going to jump right in with zero pop sends in a tip. One of two, I don't get ABC's idea that removing categories will improve the Oscars if there are only two categories, but the show is still four hours long. The host is bad. The jokes are lame and there are 50 navel gazing tributes to the movie segments. <laughs> you haven't improved the show. It's still the same show. People aren't watching the Oscars because there are too many categories. I've never watched and thought this show would be a thousand times better without the award for live action short. Zero Pop, you and I park our shuttle crafts in the same shuttle bay. I agree with you. You know, I mean, I, I do watch the Oscars for the categories as a lifelong film fan. And, you know, the, the show is the show. It's all of it, even when it's goofy or a segment is bad. I'm still enjoying watching it. And I, you know, I miss the, the Chuck Workman montages they used to show. And I miss Billy Crystal going Oscar, Oscar, Oscar. You know, I miss, I miss all that. And, uh, it, you know, this idea that they're going to make it shorter by getting rid of the actual Oscar categories to me, I know I differ from John on this one. It just seems counterproductive. You're either doing an Oscar show or you're not, why not just do it? I mean, don't we all love movies? I, I agree with you. I love what you said. I've never watched and thought this show would be a thousand times better without the live action short. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Very well done. Dark Knight Rises sends in a tip and says Hi, John. Well, riddle me this. What movie costs $200 to make yet isn't worth $15 out of your pocket or three hours out of your time? Riddle me this, what movie costs $200 to make yet isn't worth $15 out of your pocket or three hours of your time? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I Dark Knight Rises goes on to say, I still believe we have yet to see the very best darkest Batman film we could have. Oh, how I wish the execs at Warner brothers would summon Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel day Lewis to come out of retirement to save Gotham. Look, the thing is it's not even if you have the best filmmakers in the world and the best actor that is no guarantee that you're going to get the the best Batman movie in the world I mean I think first of all everyone's got a different idea as to what Batman is I mean I'm a I'm a Neil Adams Denny O'Neill Batman of the 70s fan we which we really haven't haven't seen on film yet plus there are other concerns you know when they're doing Batman materials, they've got a whole franchise to support, a studio to support. Are they gonna be able to sell Batman toys? I mean, look, like you, I want a great story. I love a dark Batman, but how dark is dark? I mean, Batman's also gotta be entertaining. And I don't know if I would wanna see a Batman film that was as dark as say, Seven was. I still found some of the interplay between Batman and Catwoman fun and, uh, entertaining. It wasn't all just like, oh, the world is ending. If you've ever seen the British movie threads about what happens after a nuclear war, um, it's, it's, I don't want it to go that dark. And by the way, if you ever do get that film and watch it, there's a great Blu-ray that came out, uh, you better have something really happy to do afterwards. (laughs) But I mean, you might be right. Could we get a better Batman movie? Perhaps. Perhaps we could, uh, okay, see you tipped five bucks and says, I can't believe how fast I'm watching this show. Kim's convenience is so great. One of my favorite moments was when the mom got a call saying her son was hurt and it ended up being kimchi being hit by a frisbee, <laughs> young going skydiving. <laughs> oh, and sneak attack is one of the funniest things ever. And Appa easily top 10 funniest characters for me of all time. So dang funny. Thank you in the community for the rest of this great show. I'm spreading the good word of Kim's convenience. Thanks and bring on the filthy. Okay. See you. I have to say, I, the first time I heard about Kim's convenience was when John told me, and I totally agree with you. I think it is a fantastic show. It's, it's warm enough uplifting, but it's also hilariously funny. And it's also a look in, inside a different culture. And uh, I'm there for it. It's so good. The actors are so good. And uh, it's a really, really good show. Agree with you there. Motossam sends in a tip and says, hello, sorry if this seems like a dumb question, but there are no dumb questions. Uh, But what is the main difference between a film director and the cinematographer? Who from those two chooses which angles to shoot a scene from and what camera lens to use for filming the scene? Ooh, Motossam, that is a That is a very good question. Um, (laughs) but it's kind of long in terms of how, how I can answer it quickly. How can I answer it quickly? Okay. Say you are going to shoot a conversation between two people at an outdoor cafe, all right. The director has to understand everything that's going on in that conversation. Is it a conversation that's supposed to be tense? Is it a friendly conversation? So in the director's mind, who's telling the story, first of all, the director has to set the scene. Now, where are you going to do that? Do you want to establish is the restaurant itself important? Is it a ritzy restaurant? Is it a restaurant that's kind of in a grungy mini mall or something? So in the director's mind, the director would say like, okay, um, these guys are criminals and they're meeting in an out of the way hole in in the wall in a mini mall. Well, that's up to the director. And so the director would say, "And what I want is I want an establishing shot that kind of sets up the grunginess of this. So let's do let's do a pan where one of the characters he pulls in in his car and he gets out of the car and we're gonna we're gonna be on his feet, you know. We're gonna follow him up as he walks up and we establish in the camera move the restaurant itself. And we see a guy sitting out there. Well, and then he's gonna sit down and the two of them are gonna start to talk." Well, that's the director's vision for the scene. The cinematographer could come in and say, okay, uh, I got it. I understand what we want to do. Uh, what time of day is it? And he'll have to figure that out. Like what, what lens size do, are we going to use? Do you want to make it wide angle? Um, and, and, and the the DP will confer with the director and explain, I want to do this. I want to do that. And then the DP will have to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we move the camera? is it handheld do we put it on a dolly how are we going to do that and and so that and then then the cinematographer is going to have to light that scene and figure out okay where do the shadows cross this guy is are is there clouds in the sky what is it going to look like so the actual image that you go that you're seeing the cinematographer has sort of control over that obviously conferring with the director but the director has set the scene now, what would then happen is <clears throat> then you go into say what's called coverage. Each shot is a different piece of coverage. So if you're sitting, if you're shooting a scene that has two people at a table, and you know, you've got over the shoulders, you've got a medium shot, you got a close-up shot, you decide how much coverage you want to shoot. Maybe you want to have the camera circling around them, like the beginning of Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. Those are all questions that the director and the director of the director of the film and the director of photography would talk about and figure out what what best tells the story, and the director would tell the cinematographer, okay, this is what I was thinking. Then the cinematographer's like, okay, well we we'll use a sixty-five millimeter, we'll use a thirty-five millimeter lens, or we'll do whatever, and then the director would would direct the actors and the DP, the director of photography, would figure out like what exactly is in the frame, obviously conferring with the director himself. So that's kind of a, um, uh, I don't know how good that was. I hope it it gives you a better idea. Uh, a silly goose sends in a tip and says, I rewatched the extended Hobbit trilogy again this weekend. I cannot properly express my love for these movies. Every time I watch them in the Lord of the Rings, it's like I'm watching them for the first time. Do you have a favorite scene from the Hobbit? You know what? This seems strange, but in in the first Hobbit early on, there's a scene when they wash all the dishes. I don't know why. I mean, it's kind of a goofy scene that they don't really need. I don't remember if it's the theatrical or the extended because I only ever watched the extended versions. What I loved about that was it was a very visual way, but a very, and a very dynamic way, but also it was a way to show how in sync all the dwarves are. And how they are, um, they really know one another, like they can coordinate. And I, 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 it really in a, in a fun way establishes that this team can pretty much do anything I mean, they're, they're a crack group of commandos, if you want to put it that way. And it shows in a fun scene, how to establish, but uh, establish that you establish their camaraderie, but also their skill and their coordination. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why I just, I love that. Um. But yeah, I love those movies. I mean, I've, you know, obviously I worked on the special features for Lord of the Rings uh, for uh, Fellowship and Two Towers. I mean, I had such a good time. Those movies are wonderful. I love them. Brian O'Connor sends in a tip and says, kudos to WB for not letting Batman fall into limbo the way they have with Superman. It's going to be years before we see any version of Superman on the big screen again, and I'm glad we didn't have to wait to see Matt Reeves' interpretation. I agree, although I think it's ridiculous that we have to wait. It's just, you know what it is? It's really hard As people know, I I was the documentarian on Superman Returns and I made a three-hour documentary on the principal photography and the making of that movie. And it's just, it's really hard to find somebody to play Superman. It's really hard. I think it's easier to find a Batman. And I think it's also easier to come up with Batman stories because by definition, they're more grounded. When you have a character that's essentially has the powers of a God, how do you make that story um how do you how do you figure out a way to to make a story out of that out of that if your main character can pretty much defeat anything that anyone throws at him unless it's magic or kryptonite so it's it's a tough one tough one Chuck the mystery says hey John I'm so glad to see all the recognition that Ariana DuBose is getting because she's absolutely fantastic I feel like there's not enough love for Rachel Ziegler though what a talent this girl is. Never thought I'd be this excited for Snow White. Chuck the Mystery, I'm with you. Obviously, Rachel Ziegler plays Maria. I just met a girl named Maria. And suddenly my life will never be the same again. I um uh she was great. And I was worried because I mean, Natalie. Gotta love her from the first, the original. Um, Natalie Wood was was my jam when I was younger. But Rachel Ziegler was amazing, and I think. She's the perfect Snow White and I'm with you, Chuck. She's going to make a good Snow White. I never thought by the way, I'd be like, man, I'm stoked to see a live action Snow White movie, even though I love the original animated film. Chuck, the mystery goes on and says one of two, the Batman was incredible. No spoilers, but the acting by Paul Dano in the, what have you done? Conversation with Batman was some of the best in comic book movie history. Props to Matt Reeves for bringing the Gothic horror vibe as well. Also, I have been following the career of Michael Giacchino ever since he did the score for the Alias TV series with Jennifer Garner, one of my favorite shows of all time. Man, that episode where they took down SD6, thats they called it the Super Bowl episode. That was dope. Uh, and his Batman score was epic. It just fit the tone in a way that I couldn't have imagined. Look, man, I I agree with you. I think Michael Giacchino is, hes he, he doesn't have the breadth uh, of, of, of scores that he's actually created so far, but I've been a fan of his for quite some time. I, I mentioned on the show before that I really loved his score that he did for speed racer. I thought his speed racer score was wonderful. You know, I've been an outspoken critic of the modern star Trek films, but I did like his score for JJ Abrams first star Trek movie, especially cues like enterprising young men, which I think is a great, a great, um, a great, uh, a great cue. And I have to tell you, you know, um, when it comes to, uh, um, whatchamacallit, it, uh, what am I trying to say when it comes to the score that he did for the Batman? I mean, it was, it was, it was incredible. He added jazz. He added themes that you didn't normally hear in a Batman movie. I was, I was blown away. So I'm a big fan. I think you're right. And you know, it's funny. I, I forgot that he scored uh alias and i i really love that show although i think that episode i like when they finally took down sd6 i think it was in season two after that it never kind of recovered it kind of meandered around a little bit and i um i uh you know i i wish i wish it was it stayed stronger but the first season and a half man alias was awesome i loved it chuck thanks for supporting the channel
2: hey guys we want to take a moment and thank the sponsor of this video athletic greens now i started taking athletic greens because i don't eat enough vegetables and i was looking for a way to make up for that deficit in my diet of those vitamins and minerals that i really need in my system and thank goodness i found athletic greens and i literally take it every morning you see with one scoop of athletic greens you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole foods source superfoods probiotics and adaptive to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus all the things and my wife got onto it and now she absolutely loves it you know tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb like athletic greens so right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash campia. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash campia to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance.
1: And let's see, who do we have next after Chuck? Shaquille Oatmeal (laughs) sends in a tip and says, we have a signal now for when I'm needed. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning to them. Fear is a tool. They think I'm hiding in the shadows, but I am the shadows. God, I love Pattinson's voiceover. Well, Shaquille O'Meal, I agree with you. Um, Look, I like the fact that it begins with a voiceover and ends with his voiceover. And a question is posed in the beginning of the movie that gets answered by the end of the film. Look, man, I think Robert Pattinson was great. Uh, I really loved, I really loved him, but I agree with you. I love his voiceover. That man, Batman sends in a tip and says, I would have done anything for Zoe's Catwoman to bring on the filthy. (laughs) I think we all would. My God. I mean, can I say it? it? You know, whenever I comment on the fact that an actress is sexy in a role, I feel like maybe I'm turning into a dirty old man and I shouldn't say it, but there was a smoldering sensuality that she brought to that role. And yet it never got in the way of what we saw. And you know, she subtly, she even had a girlfriend in that film, obviously that she wanted to avenge. And I, it wasn't heavy handed, it was just there. And I really liked it. She was amazing. Love the movie. She was eye grabbing the whole time she was on screen, just damn, Batman, Batman. You were correct about that. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, Loki doki, <laughs> these are, you guys are coming up with some good good names today. I don't know if you remember both the top of your head, but in my opinion, (laughs) I don't uh, both the top of your, off the top of your head, the perfect visual metaphor for the Nolan Reeves movies is their two respective bat signals. One is clean and smooth and perfect and the other's ridged metal shoved into the light almost describes the feel of both. You know what? Loki doki, I haven't quite, I haven't heard that, but you are absolutely correct. That is a very great observation to make. Um, yeah, man. That's, um, yeah. I, I'm i there for that. I think you're absolutely right about that. The Super Ranger sends in a tip and says, Hi, John and Rob. Well, hello. Listening to No Way Home's score as well as the Batman's, I noticed No Way Home's score is more complex versus the Batman's more simple score. I wondered, both were Michael Giacchino composing. Could the complexity of the score be based on the pay amount or just what the studio wanted? Thanks. Oh, I don't think it's like that. I. I really think that a composer, you know, reads a script, is inspired by what is there, talks to the director, might see footage as the movie's being made, and is inspired by, I think a composer, what a composer wants to do is not only fulfill the dire- uh, direction that the director wants to go in, but also serve the story, the stories that's that's being told. And I thought, you know, Giacchino's use of like the Catwoman theme and, and doing different Different, different kinds of things. It's just Spider-Man No Way Home and Batman, while both comic book based films are very different in their approach. Um, so I think that's, <clears throat> it really is what serves the story best. And um, I'm a big fan, big fan. Film loving bro sends in a tip and says, "Hey John, I finally saw Drive My Car and H. O. Max and really liked it. At a deliberately paced three hours, I was no less transfixed by this life imitates art imitates life character piece. It is so beautifully composed and layered, and definitely worth a look. Worth a look. First of all, film loving bro, thanks for watching that movie. I think it's a beautiful movie, one of my favorites of the year. Not a lot of people are watching it, I don't think, but it is a it's one for the ages, man. It's truly." a wonderful movie as somebody once said well it was just people driving around in what a Subaru or a Saab or something smoking cigarettes for three hours I didn't think it was like that I really enjoyed it I'm glad you dug it because man it's a beautiful movie. Dark Knight Rises sends in a tip and says in The Batman it is puzzling why a billionaire would live in a place that looks suitable for a 60s Dracula film. Did Bruce have any friends at all any aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents? after his parents were killed to support him besides alfred well dark knight rises i think that's a good question i guess the answer would have to be no you know he was kind of an only child kind of an introvert i mean in a way what i really liked about that idea is that his life kind of mirrored the the uh brilliant incel psychopath that the riddler was you know they're both lonely they're both fighting crime uh, batman's fighting crime in the in the batcave Using his tech and looking at computer screens, and the, the Riddler, you know, is, is, is reaching out with his cot- coterie of 500 best friends uh, who are just as crazy as he is, and he's um, radicalizing them. And Batman isn't even doing that. But I think, you know, Batman is a loner. I, I just assumed, I guess I've always assumed that, that Batman didn't really have any, any family, so to speak, of except Alfred. Um,
0: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness
1: And that's kind of how I've always thought of it that way, but it's a good question. Anonymous sends in a tip that says Batman has a Jaws theme now. So fitting. He kind of does. There, that's it's you know, I didn't think of it that way, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's it's uh, yeah, it's good. I like it. I, I really like that score. I really do. Um, but you know what? I think every superhero needs kind of a theme, whether it's almost uh atonal or just a few notes like a Jaws theme, dun, dun. Um, but I think it's a, that's, uh, I, I mean, even Superman, dun, 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 dun that's the Reeve Superman, of course, but I think it's important. Superheroes all need themes. We need more of that. HW says, hi, John saw the Batman last week. Great film, and I'm satisfied It's a longtime Batman fan, but beyond the movie itself, I have a thought that DC might finally understand why they were unsuccessful in the last decade. They got the wrong understanding of D C. Um, let me explain what I mean is the last decade. Everyone is thinking about DC universe because the MCU, they think they can be another MCU without considering DC is better as just a brand rather than a series. Kevin Feige spent a decade to let people forget. Well, I think you're right. I mean, look, the Nolan films were, 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 um, were standalone films. And I think here's the thing, Kevin Feige had a vision that was born out of working on 13 theatrically released Marvel movies. I know some of you out there would say, Rob, remember Man-Thing, but was Man-Thing theatrical domestically? No, it was on it was on a streaming service. I, it did play theatrically, but anyway. Uh, so, okay, 14 movies. So Kevin Feige worked in a producerial capacity on 14 Marvel films before the MCU. He saw what worked and what didn't. He clearly is a big fan of the source material, the comics and he has an overall vision for where he's going, and he's got collaborators in Louis Esposito and Victoria Alonso. They've never had that. They, they wanted Nolan and they wanted uh, Zack Snyder to be that way, but both of those guys are not making the DC universe their life's ambition, whereas for Kevin Feige, it is. And so there, there was never a creative direction for an entire DC universe. It was all very haphazard and the like with when David Ayer was doing Suicide Squad, they kind of took it away from him in post and nobody knew what to do and they were always looking at Marvel's success and trying to catch up. You can't do that. So I prefer standalone movies. Yes, Jason Momoa's Aquaman exists in the same universe as The Flash that exists in the same universe as Wonder Woman, but I prefer standalone movies. I mean, look at the Batman. It's not part of the DCEU and I think it's all the better for it. And who cares if there's a DCEU? I like your idea of letting it be a brand. I think it's pretty good. HW. I enjoy it. Oh, number three, hang on. I didn't realize didn't say one of three. Let me start. Um, Kevin Feige spent a decade to let people forget that superhero movies are not connected. DC thought they could just do the same without building their existing franchise. Now I see DC finally understand they should treat DC as a brand with different franchises rather than one shared universe or series. Well, you heard my opinions on that already. Yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly, HW. Oh, and you go on. Uh, like like now, James Gunn is doing his The Suicide Squad spinoffs. Matt Reeves has his Batverse. James Wan could do Aquaman spinoffs. No future for Wonder Woman in my eyes, unfortunately, because it's not unique. Uh, DC needs stuff like The Suicide Squad uh, um, and The Batman. It feels like they're different genres from the MCU. Totally agree with you. And I think that's a really great way to to uh, approach it. Hopefully the filmmakers will continue to do that. And I think the studio, Toby Emmer came out and said, yo, that's what we're going to do. We're going to let filmmakers do their standalone versions of uh, these these characters. And I think, yeah. And if they wanted to cross over, they can. And we don't have to worry about like continuity. Because um, in our minds, sure, they could exist somewhere. But we don't need to know all about that because... We understand these characters already, so why do we why do we care? With the MCU, they've built the universe from the very beginning. At the end of the credits of Avengers, or at the end of the credits of Iron Man, Nick Fury shows up and asks Tony Stark about the Avengers Initiative. From that first movie, you know you're building onto something. The Matt Reeves Batman films are probably, if there's more, going to be standalone, the same way Nolan's were, and he'll probably do a trilogy, a standalone trilogy that's hermetically sealed. It's its own universe. I'm there for it. I think that's the way it should be. Scott Brown says, I don't want to see characters interact with this Batman that are too fantastical, say Superman or Aquaman, but I could see characters like the question, Green Arrow, or a grounded PI type, Spectre or Constantine. I think that could be very interesting. Scott, I'm with you. And, um, you know, they can show up. Why not? And if they work within the story in the context of that universe, bring it on. I'm with you. Andrew Gifford says, hi, John and crew. Was it Jim Carrey you saw in the mocap suit for an upcoming Marvel show or movie, Andrew? No. No, it wasn't. I can tell you that because I've seen it. Uh, Drew, do, do, do Jr. Sends in a tip and says, happy Monday, John. In my opinion, it was like Dragnet, Hanks and Aykroyd, and Sin City had a baby together named the Batman. You know, it's funny. I forget I forget about Dragnet man, man. I that wow. I haven't seen that just the facts. I haven't seen that in a long time. Now I need to go see it. Uh, it had a lot of Batman telltale and Arkham city vibes to me as well. Mixed with LA noir. I agree with you. I totally agree. Those are great, great. I mean, in terms of games. Yes. I think you're absolutely right about that. Loved it. Thank you for letting me share. Well, dude, June junior will always let you share, but thank you. I agree. Part one of two. Hey John and Rob I personally feel Sony may have made a mistake by not releasing Morbius at the end of Spider-Man No Way Home Hype I think it could have been used to help propel Morbius now instead of Spider-Man the hype has shifted to Batman thoughts uh one of two where is uh, also with the success of the Batman and two spin-off shows planned for HBO max do you think Warner Brothers will shift to more of a Reeves cinematic universe over a traditional DC EU or have two universes simultaneously. I think DC has proven that they can have multiple universes simultaneously. I think that Matt Reeves' vision for all these characters will be hermetically sealed. Like I said before, it'll be in its own thing, and that's fine. There the Reeves Batverse, the Nolan Batverse, I think that it's I think it's okay. I think that it's okay, and I think people will understand and get it. I think they'll get it. Oh, and that was—I didn't even say who that was from. That's from Louis T Media, Louis, or is it Louis? I always say Louis when I see it spelled out, but of course it is Louis. Is it Louis? Louis T Media. Um, but um, I think—I think you're right. I think that it's going to be two times simultaneous. I think so. That's because it doesn't have to be all interlinked. We as viewers get it. I mean, we've seen Gotham, we've seen Smallville, we've seen Superman and Lois. I mean, all of these things, we can watch them unto themselves or we can uh, think about the larger ramifications. So I think we all get it. 51 year old soldier sends in a tip and says, Hey team, sorry, but I missed the spoiler discussion. One thing I haven't heard discussed is the masterful handling of so many villains. It's because their stories were masterfully interwoven, and not disjointed like the Spidey three or earlier Batman films. Best ever. Fifty-one uh, year old soldier. That's a good point. I never thought about that. You know, everything felt very organic. And maybe it's because of the Iceberg Lounge kind of acted as a. I mean, Riddler was <laughs> at his apartment outside of it. Uh, Penguin or Otto or uh, Oz? Probably Otto. Wrong franchise. Oswald Oz, he, he was the manager and of course, Catwoman worked there. So it had a very organic way of having all of these, uh, villains kind of interact. I think you're absolutely right. That's an, another very, very good observation. Uh, orange hand says, so we know Dr. Strange and Wong and the ancient one are magic users, but one thing that hasn't been addressed, what kind of decks are they using? How many lands did Strange need to tap to cast the memory spell for Peter? John, help me out here. Wow, um, <laughs> that's pretty funny. I believe what you're referring to is Magic: The Gathering. Um, that's pretty good. I like that. That's man. I mean, can you imagine how many decks would you need to use as Doctor Strange uh, if you wanted to, <laughs> to cast the memory spell? I can't even fathom how many decks you'd need and about those cards that are hard to get what would you well man what you'd you'd have to have how much money would you have to spend to get those special cards scott brown sends in a tip and says some reviews i saw the batman reminded me of man of steel reviews comparing it to previous versions of the character you have to leave those expectations at the door don't talk about what the film isn't instead talk about what the film is good or bad agree wholeheartedly scott i I always, I always hate that when people, they don't actually give us their thoughts about what they saw. They're always talking about, "Well, I read this comic when I was uh, eight, and this is my favorite Batman. I want to see that." But okay, that's great. But what about what you saw? What did you think of that? And I, 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 you know, I, that to me is, that's the best way to go. I mean, I, you know, you got to review what's there, not what isn't. Totally agree with you, Scott. You and I park our shuttlecrafts in the same shuttle bay. Scott goes on. I've been a huge Batman fan my whole life, and normally I'm a very quiet moviegoer, but there were so many scenes of the Batman that had me so hyped, like the Batmobile scene and the Skylight scene, I yelled out loud and didn't notice my wife had to tell me to relax. (laughs) I love that. Uh, That is fantastic, Scott. You know what? On one hand, if I was sitting next to you, I probably would have been annoyed, but in a movie like this, you and I would have been simpatico and I would have forgiven you. I would have forgiven you. So it's okay, but that's funny. And if your wife said, could you relax, Scott? Uh, I would crack up. Uh, I'm glad you liked it that much. Batman Brainstorm sends in a tip and says, for a grounded clay face, what about taking the Darkman approach where the villain has tech to make different face molds that dissolve into a clay-like substance after an extended use of time? Ooh, good reference. Sam Raimi, of course, directed Darkman. That's not a bad idea. And someone gives him a nickname, but you know, it's funny. I I don't know if people would, see, once once you've got, like bringing in the Bat-villains and making them more realistic and grounded, I think it works for Catwoman and Penguin and Riddler and even the Joker to a certain extent. But when you get into characters like Clayface or Man-Bat or or Killer Croc or whatever these characters that we've been talking a lot about, are they still the essence of those characters if all you're doing is figuring out a way to make the idea of of having a Clayface? Because Clayface is kind of like a tragic figure. And if you have somebody that's just using, then he just becomes a villain that's using tech. I mean, I think Clayface has to have a certain physicality to make him the character, to add that added uh, layer of pathos, I guess. But it's not a bad idea. And nice, nice reference to Darkman. Uh, Batman Brainstorm says, for a grounded Mr. Freeze, having him use some type of cryogenic weapon that is based on liquid nitrogen is easy. The hard part is, if you give him a skin condition that requires his body temperature to stay cold, and if you don't, he is just, really Captain cold. Good question. Again, you know, it, it really depends. I mean, the, the grounding of the bat villains, I think is what makes those movies work. If you get too fantastical, the tone shifts and then, you know, you're in a realistic city and everything is incredibly realistic. And then when you come up with a villain, like a, a Mr. Freeze, and you've got somebody in a in a in an environmental suit that's all lit up, wandering around the Gotham that we saw in the Batman. It gets a little tough. It's a hard thing. I mean, it's interesting. I I would love to see how a guy like Matt Reeves tackles something like that because I think that could be really interesting. A uh, dangerous D says hi, John. The trailer of the new HBO max series, DMZ, starring Rosario Dawson's out, looks like an ominous view of New York city set in a near future America. That's fractured by a second civil war. And this has some resonance. To the movie escape from New York. Do you agree? Dangerous D yes. I said that on the show. I love escape from New York. I'm a huge John Carpenter fan. Uh, it totally feels like escape from New York. And what, I don't know if, the, is that the Chrysler building that you see, like they, they blew the top of it off or it got hit by a missile and fell down. It looks great. It's a great comic too. I think it was under the Vertigo label. I think it was Vertigo, right? Uh, DC put it out and um, definitely a cool, it looks great. I mean, I can't wait. It's another, it's a limited series. I think it's only four episodes and I think it it looks terrific, but definitely Escape from New York vibes. Batman Brainstorm says for a grounded Bane, obviously he uses some steroid venom, but it only gives him abnormal peak human strength, like being able to bench like, 950 pounds where the world record is 805 pounds that would make him tough for batman to fight hand to hand yeah i think that's a great idea you know i think again christopher nolan's bane was pretty damn good tom hardy was great as bane he looked great um even though you never saw his face i really like bane but that's i like that i like where you're going with that Batman Brainstorm says for Reeves Batman story arc with Bane, what about a Nightfall take where Bane breaks out the inmates from Arkham Asylum and it's a Batman version of Dread where it's crazy wall to wall action as he tries to round everyone up getting worn out in the process. Good idea. You know, I like that. Um, But again, I thought, you know, one of the things these modern takes on Batman also do is comment on the, the state of America. What are our inner cities like? And um the corruption that we have and I I I worry I mean one of the things I really enjoy, I, I enjoy this about Nolan's movies too, is you, you get a feeling there's there's a commentary being made on our world that we live in, we the audience live in now today. And there's the Batman movies are commenting on that. And I think that I I, I wouldn't want it to go I would I would miss it if it was too much outside of the realm, that if there was no there was no tenuous connection to our world in some way, that would kind of bum me out. But, um, and I would worry about that if, if it was all about Arkham, but you could probably have a wider commentary about uh, the fact that we don't take care of our mentally ill in this country anymore. You know, there's so many people on the streets and that are homeless, and I'm not saying that you have to make a Batman movie just Well, it's gonna be a movie about social justice. I think all superheroes are kind of about social justice in a certain way, but um, I don't think we'd wanna get it all bogged down uh, with that. We still want it fun, but I do like the Arkham idea. I I think it's pretty good. Dangerous D says, hi, John. You read a remark that Warner Brothers executive Toby Emmerich about the tone of comic book movies and that they don't have to be interlocked in a shared universe, but they can be in their own world like Joker and the Batman but even though it is a sentiment which I agree with it seems this only applies to the Batman franchise I'm not digging on the Batverse that's not what this is about if they truly believe this is a philosophy do it with four other characters like Soup's, Green Lantern Wonder Woman etc I'm talking movies thoughts well Dangerous D I, I agree with you like look the idea of say the Green Lantern core which they're talking about doing I guess they're doing a series for HBO Max that's got a whole cosmology to it. It's got the Guardians on Oa. It's got the 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 rings, the it, and all the different things that are all the different spectrums of of rings and the colors and all that. If you want to go in that direction, I mean, yes, Green Lantern. I'd l- love to see Green Lantern as part of a Justice League movie, but that's a different thing. I are I, it, it, it's interesting because with the with Zack Snyder's Justice League, with the Batman of Zack Snyder's Justice League, with Ben Affleck's Batman work in Matt Reeves, the Batman universe? I don't think so. Um, And I think that a Green Lantern, like I'd love to see a Green Lantern movie where Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern of Earth, or whether it's Guy Gardner or Jon Stewart or Kyle Rayner, however you wanted to go, that that Green Lantern was the Green Lantern of Earth and you do it as its own thing. I think that could work great. Um, I think you're right about that and they could do it with those other characters. Armando. So so hello everyone. Big fan. Do you prefer Bryce Dallas Howard as an actress or director more? I have a mad crush on Bryce Dallas Howard. I love redheads and she's my kind of redhead. I love redheads with round faces and beautiful skin. And she's very cute, but I think, you know, I'm going to hold off until I see her direct a feature, but I like her screen presence. I think she's good in the Jurassic world movies and I've, I've, I've enjoyed her a lot and I I'm really appreciating, um, um, what she did with her Star Wars episodes and I think look she's got her father who's who's a lifer in the entertainment business started out as a great actor I mean who didn't love even up to happy days Richie Cunningham and uh her father you know started as a a a a director making low budget films and really worked his way up in the system and probably knows more about directing than most of us will ever forget about our own lives uh or most of us will forget about our own lives I mean he's and she is able to draw upon him as a resource. And I think that she has proved it that she can direct. I I would love to see her direct more, so I can't say what I prefer more. I would hate to not see her anymore on film because like I said, I have a crush on her. But um, hey, if Bryce Dallas Howard wants to stop acting and she wants to go direct films,
3: details. Chumba.
1: more power to her uncle Iroh says I've been watching you since I was 12 I'm now 23 you graduated college with a child on the way just wanted to say thank you for the amazing years of just talking about movies well uncle Iroh I know you're talking to John but congratulations for graduating college and congratulations on bringing another human being into this world Raise him or her or them as an imagination connoisseur, however you want to do it, but make sure they they have a steady diet of all the great cinema of the world. Eagly sends in a tip. It says, better performance, Michael Keaton in Spotlight or Joaquin Phoenix in Her? Ooh. I mean, that's such a hard thing to do because those movies are so different. Um, I, I mean... You know, one is based on a real a real story and a real person, and the other is a science fiction movie. But I can't answer that. I you know I thought they they were both great. I mean, obviously, Spotlight's an ensemble cast, and her is really a tour de force from Joaquin Phoenix. So I'm going to have to give you for that alone that Michael Keaton was part of a, a, an ensemble in Spotlight. I'm going to go to Joaquin on that one. But that doesn't mean that Michael Keaton's performance isn't great. Doesn't mean that. Dangerous D says, hi, John. I want to discuss a small portion of the history of American comics. And that's the Filipino art, the Filipino artists invasion of the 1970s. Ooh, good call. Back then DC's Joe Orlando and Carmine Infantino wanted a good artist that does work with minimum pay. And they recruited, um, they recruited, who did they recruit? knew you're gonna say wait a minute where'd you go well they recruited um dangerous d they recruited tony i'll have to get back to that but i love seeing look one of the things i loved especially like the california style we had a lot of artists like jim lee asian artists that came in and brought a uh i wouldn't say necessarily anime flair but definitely an asian flair to things and uh i i love jim lee's work on x-men so i love it when artists from other countries bring their flavor into american comics i think we were all the richer for it but uh, hopefully i can find dangerous d where your other tip went the other part of your question um (laughs) bobby z sends in a tip and says the terminal is available to stream on hulu paramount and epics (laughs) i'm gonna tell ray I'm going to make him watch it on every one of those streaming services. Anonymous. um, uh, Anonymous said, I knew as soon as I saw the first trailer for the Batman, that two inevitable things would happen. One, people would start calling the Nolan trilogy overrated and not even that good. And two, people reverting back to MCU is childish. Laugh out loud. So predictable. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm with you there. It's predictable, but kind of the way of the world, you know. Everybody has their own and think about it. There's a whole new generation. It's been 10 years since the dark Knight rises. So there's a whole new generation of people that this is their Batman. You know, they get to claim it as theirs because they went to the theater and saw it for the first time. So, but yeah, definitely inevitable. And I don't think the MCU is childish. I think the MCU is exactly what it, it is designed to be and which I love it. I'm so there for it. Trouble is coming says, hi, John, I watched Batman and loved it. Glad I never saw it in the USA. We don't have a half an hour full of advertisements. Thank you, Cineworld. They sell popcorn, but not with butter. Never heard of that before. It must be an American thing. Have fun, guys. All the best. Trouble's coming. Well, if you follow John Campy for any length of time, you know that to him, popcorn is just a delivery system for butter. I do not butter my popcorn. I like salt on my popcorn. And occasionally I might like throw in some peanut M&Ms. I really like salty, chocolatey, popcorn-y goodness. So there you go. Uh, Interesting, though, that you guys don't... Were you in the UK? Couldn't tell. But uh, who doesn't put popcorn in Europe? They don't do that? Of course, they dip French fries and mayonnaise in Europe, too, so everything's different. That's what makes the world great. Everyone should travel. Get a passport. Alan Gonzalez says... One or two. Hi, John and crew. I was thinking on the line problem for movie theaters of the lines and paying employees. Everything in a movie theater can be automatic. Buying a ticket can be self checkout with a little machine and buying a beverage and candy can be a vending machine, even if the popcorn, even the popcorn. So if a movie theater really wants to save money, why not go that route? If they really need money from advertisement, have ads all around the theater and not before the movies start. Alan, not a bad idea. Um, I think some things, some of the refreshments they sell, like I think if you had popcorn though in a vending machine, unless it's actually popping in the machine too, I'm sure the Japanese can figure it out. I mean, you can buy hot pizza out of vending machines in Japan. Maybe we should call the Japanese. I think that's probably a pretty good idea that you got going on there um, and why not? Uh, Datman Batman says, hey John, my favorite director of all time is Stanley Kubrick. Amen, Datman Batman. Mine too. My question is: What are your thoughts on 2001: A Space Odyssey? With its visual effects, it was so influential to many sci-fi films to follow, including Star Wars. Love the ape scene. By the way, that ape scene. There's there's chimpanzees that are real, but the apes are all men in suits, and it's amazing. Bring on the filthy sweaties. Uh, Batman, Batman. Stanley Kubrick is my favorite director of all time, and I still think that 2001. Is one of the most profound and beautiful science fiction films, if not the most beautiful and profound science fiction movie ever made. Yes. Even more so than blade runner. I understand it's del- deliberately paced and not for everyone, but a great film. And, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick, all of his movies are so unique and they're so, they're so, they're both, they're both, they have a lot of verisimilitude, but they're also very stylized, which is a interesting way to go. I'm a huge fan. Um, of all of his movies really so i'm glad to hear you say that uh patrick o'connell sends in a tip and says thursday october 31st the city streets are crowded for the holiday even with the rain hidden in the chaos is the element waiting to strike like snakes but i'm there too watching easily the best opening monologue for a comic book movie. Well, Patrick, it's pretty damn good. You're not wrong. Although, although Rorschach and Watchmen, come on, man, not bad either. Uh, Richard Locke says, hi, John and crew. I have a question more for the ladies, but feel free to chime in guys. There's a lot of sex in shows and movies. Sex sells willing to do nude scenes versus not. How much impact does that have on an actor's career? Thanks. Well, Richard, um, I I have, um, uh, I'm not a woman, and I've never done a nude scene in a movie, even though, yes, I was in Star Wars Triple X, so didn't get nude. But I would say this, I have directed nude scenes. Uh, I worked on a HBO Cinemax series called Femme Fatales that I directed five episodes of, and doing nude scenes uh, or sex scenes is very uncomfortable always. But I would say this, I think it really depends on the the project um you know scarlett johansson did full frontal nudity in a movie called under under the skin but in that scene she's playing i mean it, if you haven't seen under the skin scarlett johansson's playing an alien it's taking human form and when you're watching it i don't think anyone would 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 condemn her for that because it it, it, it was not it wasn't exploitational uh, it, it used nudity. I mean, we're so uncomfortable in America with our own nudity. You go around the world, people are far less uncomfortable with nude nude scenes and sex scenes. It really depends how it's presented, I think. Um, and I think you can do nudity and nobody cares, depending on the context of the film. Of course, if you do a sex scene, if you're a famous actress, and there's a lot of people that oh, I just got to see so and so naked, then it can be it can be affecting. I really think it depends. How the nude scenes are done i mean with sharon stone the scenes in basic instinct while notorious they really made her career she wouldn't i don't think she would have have got other movies like sliver or her academy award nominated performance at casino without doing basic instinct so again it really depends how it's being done and who is doing it anonymous sends in a tip new predator opens with narration of a tribal elders indigenous folklore of a shadow warrior that they initially fight against but then it respects their culture and warriors and joins natives, fighting Europeans, moving westward into their lands. Yo, I would love that. I would love to see a predator team up with indigenous peoples or first peoples and just fight alongside them against invaders. Man, that would be awesome. I would love that anonymous get on that. If they're making more predator movies, why shouldn't you bring that idea to fruition? Rich at 10:23 sends in a tip and says John and friends been faithfully watching you just since January, hands down the best content on movies and media anywhere. I saw the bait. Well, first of all, thanks. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. You know, John sets the tone. I think the format that he's settled on here is really, really good. And, uh, Hey, look at how good I look. He makes everything look so good as opposed to the ramshackle nature of my own YouTube show. So this glad to hear you say that, Uh, but anyway, uh, hands down, the best content on movies and media anywhere. Saw the Batman late Sunday night with my son, a hopeful filmmaker himself. We loved it. It really is a perfect Batman movie. Thanks. Well, Rich, first of all, kudos to you and your son going to the movies together. Uh, I think that's a great thing. I hope you keep up that tradition. And if he wants to be a filmmaker, please encourage him in any way, shape, or form that you can. You can. That's always important. I can't tell you. My parents are very encouraging to me. So having a father encouraging his son and you know, with all the technology around, I mean, you can, you can get an iPhone and, and get a three three different lenses. You can even buy lens attachments. You can make movies. I wish we had the technology when I was a kid that we have now. So congrats to the two of you. Chloe Fanning says, let's say Orson Welles filmed Citizen Kane in this era, using today's business tycoons as an example which of today's billionaires or maybe a CEO would Orson Welles look at and say, there is my citizen Kane. Chloe, that is a fantastic question, but hmm, that is interesting. You know, I think it's, I think it's a different time. I, I, I think that, um, know Elon Musk probably you could do something like that but again people are just different now I mean you could the the ones to I I think somebody more like uh, Sumner Redstone maybe you know uh, who became a media mogul and Fox News and all that and Sherry Redstone and that whole Redstone family but they're kind of doing that with succession so and there's a reason why they're doing that with succession so Yeah. That's kind of what I think, but that's a great question. Great question. Uh, Jeff Henry. Hey, John, you said that your own personal sources have confirmed Brian Reynolds is not in Dr. Strange. And I don't doubt you one bit, but what about Deadpool and Thor love and thunder? They did a commercial with Deadpool and Korg not long ago thoughts. Well, I know what John knows. And I, I, I'm pretty convinced that, that, um, Dr. Strange will not see an appearance of Ryan Reynolds or Deadpool, but they've lied to us before. So I'm going to reserve the right to say, not surprised if he shows up, but Thor love and thunder. I think Thor love and thunder. I don't know why, but I think maybe that would be a better fit for Deadpool. But I I really think that, I mean, I don't know if they'd show Deadpool in a cameo. I mean, maybe they would cause it would be funny. I just think Deadpool and Doctor Strange, if they did that, depending on how they did it, it would be weird. I know it seems like, well, it'd be great because it's the multiverse of madness, and blah blah blah. But ah, the tone. But Love and Thunder, I could see that happening. I don't know if it will, but I could see it happening. Forever the Batman says, "Hey John and Rob, this is my first time sending in to you guys. Love the show. Recently, I decided to get my first hot toy." Batman is near and dear to me, and my mom gets the credit. When I was five, my dad passed away, and I was devastated. My mom tried lots of things to help me through it, and it was a struggle. The thing that finally clicked for me was when my mom took me to see Batman Forever when it was released in theaters. When I saw Batman on the big screen, I was hooked. Here was a hero who knew parental loss, and I connected with him, flaws and all. I've always loved the film. So when the Kilmer hot toy was mentioned on the show, I decided to look it up. I was blown away by the images. My man, dude, I pre-ordered both Kilmer and Chris O'Donnell. There was my childhood in one-sixth scale. So I pre-ordered it immediately. And, and I I mean, look, hot toys always get delayed. and, And I think it's supposed to come out in April. I think. So it could happen. It's come full circle for me as I've now pre-ordered the patents and hot toy as well. I just thought I'd share. Sorry if that was too heavy. Keep up the great work guys. Okay. Forever the Batman. First of all, I'm sorry for your loss, but I'm glad. I I mean, finding, finding some solace in, in science fiction, fantasy, and horror and comics and all that, something I've done throughout my life. And I'm glad that you were able to find something that got you through a difficult time. Now I'm going to tell you something. And, um, don't shoot the messenger, but there is a company called Jazz Inc. J-A-Z-Z-I-N-C, Jazz Inc. Dioramas. And they make, they have a, a license from Warner Brothers. They make vehicles to go with Hot Toys figures. And they're making a Batman Forever Batmobile that lights up and your Val Kilmer Batman could go in it. Now, when you look at it, don't be shocked. It's a father and son and a family business out of the Netherlands that make this. They're also making a Batwing from 89 Batman. They're very expensive, but they're, they're, they're made with love and they do small runs. They're very exclusive. Don't say I didn't warn you, but thanks for writing in. That's a great story. And I too am getting those hot toys because how great are they? Um, The answer is really great, which you know that because you pre-ordered them. Can't wait. Uh, maybe we can commiserate when they come out, you know, write in again, and I'll have to bring mine, and we can, like, I don't say we play with them together via the Internet because that might be weird, but they're great. Johnny says, hey, John and Rob, I finally cut up on the <laughs> – Okay, I'm taking a deep breath. Johnny says, Hey, John and Rob, I finally cut up on the new Star Trek movies, JJ Abrams and Justin Linz. I haven't seen anything Star Trek before. So with that in mind, I actually really enjoyed them much to Rob's disappointment, I assume they made me want to explore no pun intended more from this franchise problem is there's so much content. I don't know where to start the original series. The motion picture next generation would like to hear your recommendations. Thanks, bring on the filthy. Johnny, it's questions like these, it put a big smile on my face. Listen, since you are already familiar with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, I would say go back and, and sample the original series first. And I'll give you the first, you're gonna go back, you're gonna look, and there's gonna be something called The Cage. That was the very first Star Trek episode made It was rejected by the network and it was utilized in a very interesting way later. So don't watch the cage first, watch the pilot that got picked up. Watch where no man has gone before. That was the very first Star Trek pilot and it was aired out of order, but I'm telling you, listen to uncle Bob here. So watch that. And then after that, here's a couple of great episodes of Star Trek. I think you should watch balance of terror. Amazing. First episode with the Romulans. Errand of Mercy. Another great episode with the Klingons. The Corbomite Maneuver. Seems a little cheesy now, perhaps, but think about what it was trying to convey back in 1966. Great episode. Um, Arena. Great episode. Um, Other episodes you should check out, and this is how the cage is used. The Menagerie Parts 1 and 2. And then, there are so many good episodes. Taste of Armageddon. These are all in the first season, by the way, but there are other episodes you need to watch of Star Trek in the second season, like Amok Time, The Doomsday Machine, Mirror Mirror. Uh, There's so many good ones, but start there and then uh, report back, report back. But you know what? The best thing about the J.J. Abrams movies is when they do things like you, Johnny, said. Which is that you want to delve into the rest of the franchise. you know what I'm going to do on my own website if you go to the postgeeksingularity.com, that's my website and it's the website for my own YouTube channel I'm actually going to put up a definitive list of episodes to watch from the original series Next Generation Deep Space 9 and um, Voyager and Enterprise so people because people are always asking me, well Rob, what should I watch? Well and I'll tell you. Uh, i'm not wearing hockey pads said so i heard marquez brownley recently say that today the money a youtube channel makes isn't reflective of its subscriber count if a channel has a million subscribers it's nothing but bragging rights care to expand
0: with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere
3: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: I agree. It's, it's not how many subscribers you have. It's how many people actually watch your content. You can have a million subscribers, but if nobody watches your channel, you can't monetize it. You can't make any money from it obviously people that watch these channels and watch a lot of channels on youtube especially these live shows know that we make a lot of our money through super chats and tips obviously we also make money through ad revenue but the only way you make money through ad revenue on youtube is if people watch your content and it's not just people who watch your content it's specific kinds of people if you attract say an audience that's between the ages of 25 to 45 those are sweet spots with advertisers because those are people that have expendable or disposable income that they spend on the products they might see, see advertised during a YouTube stream. So it is true bragging rights and having subscribers are great and having a lot of subscribers, if you engage with people a lot on YouTube, you're hoping that you get more subscribers and people watch your stuff. And that way you can increase your super chats or your tips, your ad revenue as well. So what you need is not subscribers. You need people that watch your channel. And the only way you can do that is by creating great content that people want to watch, like, dare I say mailbag. So it's a great question. I'm not wearing hockey pads and thanks for writing in. Appreciate it. Uh, Carrie, or Kiri Kiri 25 says, hi, John and team was just curious if anyone on the team is excited for Iris K Shims, Uma starring Sandra O next Friday. I'm personally looking forward to it and would love to hear your thoughts on the film if you guys are excited for it. Um, man, Uma. Is a is a uh, a horror film starring Sandra Oh and I am excited for it. It looks great. Um, yeesh, like you hear about Tiger Moms, this is a Tiger Mom from hell. Uh, I I I can't wait to see it. I am very excited to see it, and it looks really good. I've I've loved Sandra Oh as an actress, not just because of Killing Eve, but she's she's great. And I she was I believe if memory serves, she used to be even married to Alexander Payne. The director, I think. I'm a huge fan of hers and and Sandra in a horror movie. Huh, yeah. Bring that on. I'm in. Krogs sent in a tip and says, does Deadpool really have to join the MCU? Can't Deadpool 3 just be a part of the trilogy with the X-Men and the Fantastic Four joining? I'm afraid that the MCU is going to become overcrowded where we have to have cameos in every film. Does everything have to be connected? Well, Krogs, I think people... I, you know what I'm with you. I would love to see a Deadpool three and be part of that trilogy and then maybe change Deadpool and bring him into the MCU and and don't have him break the fourth wall. I mean, he could, that's what he does in the, in the comics. But I, I, you know what I, I look, I have faith in Feige, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you and until they bring the X-Men in. To the mcu does deadpool have a place in the x-men universe i mean in the mcu without the x-men that's what i meant to say uh i'm kind of with you there johnny boy old danny boy one of my favorite parts of the dark knight that perfectly showcases that the joker doesn't actually care about anything is when he grabs the drink off the serving tray throws the link liquid in the air and drinks from an empty glass i love that you're absolutely right you're absolutely right that's a great moment and what does that say about him? Amazing. Paul C one of six. Okay. Paul C here we go. Hi, John. I really like the Batman and I see that it is the case for most people, but did you also notice a sort of lackluster enthusiasm? I don't know if you get me. The film has very good reviews, of course, but I expected it to be adored. So knowing that the Batman will be entitled to sequels and spinoffs a whole Batverse. Is the fact that Reeves absolutely wants to limit all of this realism, not counterproductive? Because yes, the quality can be there, but the policy of realism at all costs limits Batman to fight against the mafia, rotten cops and terrorists. Hasn't Nolan told us these kinds of stories before? I understand that we no longer want to see films like those of Schumacher, but why not instead take inspiration from the suspension of disbelief that Batman the Animated Series or the Arkham games demanded of us? I like the Batman, but I mean, who will be the next villain? Uh, Two-Face? Hush? Mad Hatter? Or to frustrate us, Freeze without his iconic suit and weapons? Clayface reinterpreted to tell us about the ravages of cosmetic surgery, Ivy performed by by Greta Thunberg to be grounded. (laughs) Wow. I don't know if that would work, but that's a funny idea or a paratrooper paratrooper called man bat. The Batman universe is a rich and galvanizing sci-fi universe. So why would you want to limit it to stories that would suit James Bond very well, knowing that you were exposing yourself to the risk of deja vu. That's my question. Well, Paul C. uh, That is a very, very great question and. It's a, it's a very philosophical question. You know, anyone who knows me or even watches my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work and my show Rob Observations knows that I'm always banging on about verisimilitude. And verisimilitude is the quality of something feeling real. And I think that the, 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 there is a huge risk that any filmmaker runs when they are making a fantasy film. Because you have to first establish the reality that the fantasy exists in and make people believe in it. One of the strengths that I think the original Star Wars had, um, not the special editions with the Jabba's CGI, is if you watch that film, and one of the reasons Star Wars caught on for the first time, I was there opening weekend, 1977, that's how fucking old I am, Um, it felt real. There had never been a science fiction movie that had established that kind of verisimilitude before. Maybe Planet of the Apes kind of did it, 2001 certainly did it, but not, not as fantastical, a fantasy world with astromech droids, and stormtroopers, and Vader and Wookiees and the Cantina, Moss Eisley, and yet it kept it all grounded. You believed it. And that I think was part of the success of Star Wars. It's told us a very classical, a classical hero's journey fairy tale, but the world was so grounded and realistic, even though it was totally fantastical, that you bought into the realism. Now with Batman, I think that Tim Burton's Batman, which took place in an Anton first production design Gotham, where everything looked like Gothic cathedrals, you could get away with a lot more. And Batman Returns proved that, because it went way fantastical with the Penguin and Catwoman when Catwoman was resurrected from the dead, and there's a lot of craziness. But I think that I believe that we're going through a period of time where we want superhero movies now work best when they're set in the real world, like the Batman, even the Avengers. I mean, the Avengers have gotten really fantastical. But when Iron Man first started out, it's pretty much grounded. But what's interesting about the MCU is they've allowed, they've they've slowly embraced, they started grounded. But because of that grounding of Iron Man, then you got Thor, you know, and then Captain America, Super Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and, and they built out, they built outward. I don't think, and that was very carefully constructed. And I remember thinking when when Iron Man came out, I'm like, how are they gonna, how are they gonna make Asgard and Captain America work within the context of the reality of Iron Man? But they did. And even Captain America, once you had the grounding of Iron Man, it allowed you to go to Asgard you know and it was really interesting I, I I think that if you had a Batman film and you make a really good point, you could make a Batman movie and start it out like a combination of what Matt Reeves did and what Tim Burton did and go more the animated series route and 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 lean into the fantastical nature of Batman. I don't know if that's what people want from Batman now, but I think you brought, brought up a really good point. Like what are the villains going to be? And, and how do you keep telling stories? I thought Christopher Nolan did actually a pretty good job. I mean, you, you know, Ra's a or Ray Shagul, however you want to pronounce it, uh, and that was pretty grounded, but you still have the league of shadows and ninja assassins and all that. But he was able to sort of thread that needle, which is not easy to do so. I mean, you ask a really good question. I I, I don't know how he's going to do that, but I think that audiences now want more realistic heroes as opposed to more fantasy driven stuff. Miss Chandler Bong says, uh, Chinandler. is it Chandler? I think, Hey, Robin, John writing from Liverpool, England. Interesting fact. When the first trailer for Top Gun Maverick was released, Avengers Endgame was still in theaters. Wow. How do you think this delay will affect the movie when it eventually premieres? Well, Ms. Chandler, other than the fact that people have been waiting for a a Top Gun sequel for 35 years, I I think people kind of forget out of sight, out of mind. And when they start the new marketing blitz, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, Top Gun's coming out. And that excitement will come out again, again. I don't think people are going to be like, oh that movie has been sitting on the shelf. I mean, we will cuz we're movie fans and we're 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 following up we, we every day we're following movie news and we're very aware of what's happening and all that stuff, but I do think um, I do think that when they do hit us hard with the marketing, I think we're all going to want to go cuz man, I I totally I can't wait to see Top Gun Maverick. I really I I first of all, I can't believe they made it this long. It's <laughs> crazy. Uh, but I think I think once once the marketing kick, kicks in, people are going to totally go. I think they are. A dude, the man, sends in a tip and says, "Making a prediction now. The Obi Wan show will mostly center on the Inquisitor storyline, and then just randomly cuts back for a few minutes each episode to Obi Wan wandering around Tatooine, and then the two stories meet up in the finale for like ten minutes." Well, I hope not. I have more I have more faith. I think the Inquisitor storyline is going to lead Obi Wan someplace. I hope you're wrong, even though. What what we've seen, you could be right, but I think it's really going to be a character study about Obi Wan. He can't just be overseeing Luke his whole life. It's got to be something. Something's got to. I, I mean, I think that I think that maybe Obi Wan leaves Tatooine to get the to to lead the Inquisitors away from where Luke is, because maybe they had some intelligence that Obi Wan brought the twins one to Alderaan, and one to uh, one to Tatooine. So Obi Wan has to take off and lead them on a wild goose chase to get them away from luke but um look i thought it looked good though uh datman batman said hey john who would win in a fight keaton's batman bale's batman or pattinson's batman left out Affleck because he'd be the obvious winner i gotta go with pattinson's batman um you know i I don't think keaton's batman would win pattinson he had a ferocity to the way he fought um but i think it'd be a pitched battle between him and bale but I think Pat said would win hi John and crew is the Netflix magic. The gathering series still happening. I've heard next to nothing about it since it was announced banks and bring on the filthy. That is a good question. And who did that come from? That came from war doctor 10 John Hurt. Uh, I love the war doctor. I, you know, I want to get an action figure the war doctor. Did big chief studios actually manufacture the war doctor figure? Can I get it? I need to get one. Um, and about the Netflix, the gathering series. I don't know, man. Um, I haven't heard anything about it. I'm curious, like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, which characters do you lean into? Uh, I'd be very curious to see what they actually did with the magic, the gathering series. We shall see, but I haven't heard anything about it. Um, Rico dread. So that's a combination of dread and uh starship troopers. Because you're Rico Dread. Hey, John, you guys pondered what was the significance about the 1719 setting of the upcoming Predator sequel. I have a feeling it will reveal the origin of the antique pistol the Predators gifted Danny Glover at the end of Predator 2 inscribed 1715. That is awesome. Rico Dread, you... Awesome. I love that idea. I never thought of that. Wow, dude. Rico Dread. Wow. Now you got me all excited. Wow. Uh, Tomas says, do you think Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie has an outward chance of making the same dollars as Bohemian Rhapsody did? I think there's a small chance it could have. It's really good. Tomas, I would say this. I, I would say that it looks fantastic. I can't wait to see the movie i just think that elvis elvis has left the building uh i think more people know obviously elvis was a gigantic superstar but more people know queen now i think more people are listening to queen than are listening to elvis i think you know it's a generational thing elvis was 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 huge like the 50s 60s and the the 70s but we're we're 50 years beyond that now so i don't know if elvis could make a billion dollars the way Bohemian Rhapsody did but if the movie's fantastic I could be proven wrong but I only I just think that right now if you ask people would you rather see a movie if you could go to a concert of, if you could go see Freddie Mercury as the front man of Queen right now or go see Elvis Presley who would you go see I bet now meaning today more people would say Queen and that's why it did well because the whole world knows Queen whereas Elvis is just a little a little beyond generations now but if it's a good movie i could be wrong uh checkmate in nine moves sends in a tip and says of all the horror villains i've seen in my life michael myers ghostface the babadook and so on nothing has ever come close to the biblically accurate depictions of angels if you've never googled it it is horrifying be not afraid bro i am terrified dude Checkmate Nine Moves. I Look, I love biblically-based horror when it's done really well. I mean, uh, you gotta love it. And there have been some great depictions of angels. I mean, uh, um, what was, uh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Hello, needs more cowbell. That's a terrible impression, Christopher Walken. Um, What is the name of that franchise? Why am I drawing a blank on it? You all know what it is. But I think accurate de- depictions of angels are terrifying. Like, you know, Constantine, Keanu Reeves Constantine. I mean, it's not a, it's not biblically accurate, accurate, but you're right. Uh, look, the exorcist, I lo- I don't know why, but biblically accurate, uh, depictions of whether it's Satan, heaven and hell, I'm so there for it. And bro, you should be terrified. And that of course brings me to the end of this edition of mailbag. I can't thank all of you enough for supporting this channel via super chats and tips, watching our shows, commenting. We have one of the great communities on YouTube. I want to thank you all for that. We love getting these questions. I, I, I have to say, I really enjoy, I mean, I obviously love doing them with John, but I love doing them solo too. It's so much fun and uh, I love sharing myself with you, but once again, from everyone here at the John Campia show crew. We thank you for your support. We love having you watch our show. My name is Robert Meyer Burnett, and you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at RM Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel, the Burnett work like, and subscribe, but mostly you'll find me right here on the John Campia show. And thank you all for, well, for everything.